0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 36, our review of the July 7 Intercept Pharmaceuticals press release announcing the newly compiled data for opedicolic acid, or OCA, in the treatment of Nash fibrosis. This update includes a reanalysis of efficacy data and a much larger patient pool for analysis of safety data, including almost 1,000 patients who've been taking OCA for four years. It also announces Intercept's intention to file a revised new drug application later this year. This conversation looks at the efficacy, analysis and the updated Regenerate data. In the press release, Intercept reports that OCA 25 milligrams has met its agreed-upon primary endpoint of improvement of liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH over 18 months, and that it succeeds in achieving this endpoint at better than double the rate of placebo. The conversation starts with Stephen Harrison, noting the actual numbers, 22.4% meeting the primary endpoint in the OCA 25 milligram group versus 9.6% in the placebo group. Stephen notes that this represents a slight improvement over the numbers in the previous analysis, even though both analyses relied on exactly the same data. The rest of the conversation has Stephen, Jorn Schottenberg, Louise Campbell, and me sorting out the implication of these results for patients, physicians, and other stakeholders. Stephen concludes this portion by noting that these results should help dispel widespread skepticism as to whether any NASH drug can achieve an FDA's efficacy standard for approval. With this new press release comes the realistic possibility that the fatty liver community might find ourselves with not one, but two approved medicines by the end of 2023. This would be a remarkable step forward that would create Market interest, drive funding for drug development and provider education, and generally create a new, much brighter environment for NAFL diagnosis, treatment, and management. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group.
1: Stephen Harrison on July the 7th, 2022, Intercept pressed that they announced positive data in fibrosis due to Nash from a new analysis of its phase three regenerate study of a beta colic acid. And there were four top-line bullet points that Intercept wanted to make. And I'm just going to read them and then we'll talk about specifically some of the data. Number one, the 25 milligram dose of colic acid met the agreed primary endpoint of improvement in liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH at 18 months. And the p-value was highly significant. It was less than 0.0001. For those of you that aren't counting, that's three zeros and a one. And that was consistent with the original regenerate analysis. Point two, the 25 milligram dose of a acid demonstrated double the response rate in reduction of liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH versus placebo. Number three, this data set includes larger and more robust safety database of 2,477 patients with nearly 1,000 on study drug for four years. Number four, intercept to resubmit a new drug application. So they're going to refile an NDA, in liver fibrosis due to NASH. A pre-submission meeting with the FDA is scheduled later this month. So there you have it. That's their main bullet points. Now, just to dive into this a little bit, and then I want to maybe we'll um, we'll take this section by section. We could debate the treatment effect delta for fibrosis. And is that meaningful? What I would say is let's don't be myopic here, because what we haven't seen yet from this data set is how much we're preventing progression of fibrosis as well. And as Jorn and I will tell you in clinic, if we have an F3 patient, that we can keep an F3 patient and prevent from developing F4 disease, more likely than not, that patient is completely asymptomatic, leading a normal life. And if we can keep them there, great. Let's manage his comorbidities and talk about a drug that can help us with that as well. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater focused only on improvement of fibrosis. I think just as importantly, there should be a conversation around in this large number of patients, are we preventing progression of disease? What I'm a little challenged by, and this is probably just my naivety and Look, I don't mind throwing my lack of awareness on this out into the open, and I'm sure somebody will point out the obvious. But I wonder, you know, a significantly larger number of patients made it through the 18-month biopsy time point. And why couldn't they include the additional patients in a refiling? Instead of just looking back at the same patients and reading them a separate way, why couldn't they have added as many additional patients that had made it to month 18 into this analysis? Because obviously that would have increased the power. Now, maybe there's an obvious answer I'm just not privy to. Let me address the comment about the methodology of the read. So I commented already how they did it the first time. Two pathologists, each given roughly half the biopsies and said, go give me the answer and so that that wasn't consensus it was essentially one pathologist reading the pre and the post a, in half the cases and another pathologist reading the pre and the post in half the cases and then the, putting their data together now if you look back to data That was presented in poster form on the methodology, and I'm reading straight off the poster the flow diagram for methodology. In stage one, each pathologist, and there were a total of six board-certified NASH-trained pathologists who underwent proficiency testing for this scoring system. They were allocated to two separate panels, panel A and panel B. So in stage one, there was an independent read. One, each of the three pathologists from a panel independently read four slides per patient, H&E trichrome at baseline, H&E trichrome at month 18 to score fibrosis, stage inflammation, ballooning and steatosis. Then two of the three pathologists match on a score for relative parameter and then that consensus score is recorded. Alternatively, if two of the three pathologists Do not match, the slide images are read jointly by an entire panel. Joint agreement is reached on the score for a relative parameter, yes, then that consensus score is recorded. If no, the panel deems the slide to be non evaluable for a relevant parameter and no value is recorded. So that's the methodology here. You had two pathologists, or each pathologist would read the slides, and if two out of the three matched, you're good. If not, Then all three pathologists came together and read the slide. If joint agreement could be reached, you're good. If still no joint agreement could be reached, the slide was deemed non-evaluable. Now, I don't know because it's not mentioned, how many slides were deemed non-evaluable, but at least now you know the way this consensus reading supposedly took place. Now, I'm just, again, I all I did here was go back to the poster that Arun presented entitled, Minimizing Variability and Increasing Concordance for NASH Histologic Scoring in NASH Clinical Trials. It was a poster, 1620, presented at AA SLD last year, 2021. So that's the way the methodology was done to my knowledge. So that's where we are. Any thoughts on that, or we, should we go to safety? Jaren Schottenberg. No, let me re- reflect quickly. I think it's important that we decide on what's shown in the biopsy slide, right? We do the biopsy, we want a clear shot answer. We can't get an answer from one pathologist saying this is F3, and the other one says this is F1. This is something that bothers me. And I think, as you highlighted, moving into a consensus, having experts discuss this, saying, have a look here, maybe do, you didn't take this section into account, or you know, how do you evaluate this? Um, I think this is how you do it in clinic. You've got a tough case. You come up to a colleague. You say, hey, have a look. These are the labs. What do you think? You reach a consensus. So this is how, how I would do it in my clinic with a difficult case. I think this is how it has to be done in REITs here, and it should reduce the noise. And I think the data shows that, too. The question I'm not aware is how do the regulators view this? You've been involved in some of those discussions. And the second thing that came up, I think this is now digitalized slides. That's right. Absolutely. And I, and I, I agree with you, Jorn. This is exactly how it should be done. This is how we would do it in clinic in a tough case. And I think the regulators, to my knowledge, are open to this idea of consensus reading. I'll take it one step further. I think the regulators are open to assistance from AI digital pathology as well. Now, AI digital pathology, let's make it clear, is not replacing the pathologist. But I think it could be used as a companion diagnostic if you're able to have a conversation with the agency and talk about how you want to adjudicate your histopathology in your statistical analysis plan. So if you say, hey, look, we're going to use consensus, but we're also going to have AI digital pathology there as a companion diagnostic, meaning the AI digital path report is sitting there for the pathologist to look at as they adjudicate the histopathology slide directly. I think that the agency, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think they would be receptive to having a conversation about that. And for sure, you know, having a conversation about consensus read. Now, let's also be clear, AI digital pathology was not in. Involved in the reporting of the data you see in this press release. This was simply a consensus panel approach to histology. Okay,
0: any other thoughts? Yeah, actually, I have one, maybe two. The second one, actually, Stephen, came from your last set of comments. The first one was I've just been playing in my head with why a consensus read would have the impact of taking placebo down and not having an effect on anything else. It didn't take it down significantly necessarily, but it took it down a bunch, you know, a a noticeable amount. And I'm wondering why consensus would do that. I don't have an answer off the top of my head. I spent a little bit of time noodling this around over the weekend and couldn't get to an answer that I liked. That's number one. Number two, which comes out of your comment and I think is more important, is... It would be fascinating to see, as you point out, the degree to which this stops progression. Because if this becomes an antifibrotic that one time out of four actually gets you down a level and three times out of four stops the progression, it makes it a pretty valuable agent in combination therapy, not the backbone necessarily of combination therapy, but a valuable agent to have. Because at the end of the day, fibrosis is really what we focus on more in, in terms of patient's health. And that would be pretty compelling, I think. Louise Campbell. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, I think as a patient, They want to know that their slides are being read by the best of the best and that where there's any adjudication that needs, that we're going to go that extra mile to do that. And I think that's what's happened with the consensus. I think that was a positive move. I think we're seeing a benefit in this study and therefore hopefully we'll see a benefit in other studies. But I would like to see AI in the background. We've now moved very far with AI and it's there to help the pathologists. It's there to make sure there's nothing that's unreadable. And it would show the strength of histopathology pathologists and their skill in reading, particularly with the consensus, if we just had that additional metrics, even if it wasn't used to approve the drug, but actually to prove that the whole system works. I think personally we can benefit from that. It's great to know that these slides are now being better read and getting positive data.
1: Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, I guess it was kind of a coming out party at easel in the sense that we began to show that drugs that are having an impact on liver disease in the setting of NASH are potentially also improving liver volume. One of the presentations I gave from Madrigal in the Maestro NAFLD1 trial was this reduction in liver volume. And then in the cirrhotic cohort of the open-label trial, or the cirrhotic open-label cohort of the Maestro NAFLD1 trial, in addition to liver volume reduction, there was spleen volume reduction and an inverse relationship to Rise in platelet count. Now I don't know what all that means necessarily. It sounds positive, but I think we we have more work to do. But one of the things that we drilled down on in another oral presentation was using AI digital pathology, we were able to apply a correction factor for reduction in liver volume. And that allowed for actually an accentuation of the antifibrotic response seen with resmeterome. And I'm just speculating here. You know, we can do that on the podcast. And and so I'm speculating that there probably was a treatment effect on liver volume with a beta acid. Now, it wasn't measured to my knowledge, and we don't have liver volumes, but, but I wonder as we move forward if that should not be looked at more holistically across trials because, you know, maybe there's an even more accentuated treatment effect delta on fibrosis if you're able to apply that. <clears throat> you know, pathologists are doing the best they can. They're reporting what they're seeing, but if you have compressed collagen particularly in in Zone 2, the data that we reported suggests that pathologists really can't see that change to the naked eye. We're going to learn more and more about this. And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing Nash Tsunami to drop on Wednesday, July 20th. Please join us. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.